everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. You know me, I'm Perry, and you know Haley. That's Haley. <laughs> Hope you guys are doing well. We are so excited to welcome an actor who has some credits on her resume that we're both very excited about. But the big deal right now is that she made her feature directorial debut, which is a huge, huge accomplishment. Carlson Young, congratulations and welcome to The Witching Hour. Thank you. Thank you. What an honor to be here. <laughs> it Love. is a good time, I swear. And uh, fair warning, we talk about cats on this show. Oh. Um, to start off kind of, I, I not really at the beginning, but the beginning-ish for you, I was reading that you uh, you studied creative writing in school. So it was making me wonder when you first pictured yourself kind of making it in the industry, was there any specific path you wanted to pursue or did you always know you wanted to do a little of everything? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I always had the intention of becoming a director and, and, and writer after getting to a certain high point as, as an actor. Um, and I just, I looked, I, I just, I've looked at countless jobs <laughs> over the years as resume builders, but somewhere along the way, I realized that that sort of idealized place as an actor was neither worth waiting for and frankly, just kind of made me feel empty and unfulfilled. Um, so I had to let that go and acknowledge the really deep desire within myself to pursue directing and writing full on. Um, and what I, what, I, what I love is world building and editing and, um, you know, creating something out of, out of nothing. So I feel like all roads led to this moment and the, this journey has been kind of like sourcing what um, really inspires me about art of all kinds. You, uh, you know, you got your start on How the Bell Rings and I'm curious what it was like <laughs> to have such a built-in passionate fan base, which happens with those Disney shows from such, you know, such an early point in your career. And was there ever a point where you felt like you had to get intentional about sort of stepping out of the Disney image? Oh, yeah. Well, As the Bell Rings was like, it was a short show. I was never, I mean, I did it in high school. It, it shot in Austin. I still stayed at my school and I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. It was very like, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful on-ramp to, um, you know, kind of getting representation and figuring out how it kind of works and getting on set experience. But I mean, it was, it was very kind of, um, it was, it, it was, everyone's got their own unique story to how they like are introduced to the industry. But for me, like I, I never felt attached to like any part of that Disney identity, like at all. And I feel like since it was um, a short show and not really something that it wasn't like Hannah Montana or something like that, you know, I felt it, I felt like it, it was an amazing start for me and there was a lot of blessings that came out of it, but you know, I've always been like watching, you know, the Criterion channel, like, and listening to like weird dark music. So didn't really, nothing about that brand of Disney ever really sat with me. So it certainly took a long time to find my own identity. 
Well, and one more at the bell rings question, which is like going on that first set, what do you think were some of the, the key just like professional instincts or really technical elements that you were able to pick up on that set for the first time? Well, it was the first time seeing how a crew operates and observing the the well-oiled machine of, um, you know, of, of the filmmaking and little ecosystem. I remember like, I remember like thinking the script supervisor was like, God, <laughs> like, oh, nobody knows what they're doing, but you do. <laughs> like, um, and I mean, really every job I've, I've had, you know, in, in my life so far, I've, I've, uh, everyone I come out with this like insane appreciation for a different crew member. Um, and then as an actor, you know, for the past couple of years, I, I, uh, if I have off days, I'll go like shadow the DP and kind of make myself, you know, I, I, like I said, I've always had a, a bigger intent and a bigger vision of, 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 uh, not just acting. So, it's just been like sponge, sponge land, like trying to soak up absolutely everything I can. I have to ask about uh, some of those earlier inspirations and in films and maybe even some of the music that you were listening to that might inform what we wind up seeing in uh, the blazing world and whatever you create after that. Yeah. Um, well, it, my favorite, one of my favorite bands in like high school was Animal Collective. I say that because um, in this film, there's a there's a song that's featured at the end um, by Panda Bear, who's obviously a member of Animal Collective. So um, I, I, I think that, well, it's called Tropic of Cancer and I'm blanking on the album right now. Panda Bear meets the Grim, Grim Reaper. When that, when that album came out, I think it was like, 2015 or something I was I was um kind I was in the middle of writing the Blazing World script and um the pot of dirt from uh the Nutcracker had been just kind of on repeat in this in this writing process and the, those opening chords of the harp it was so beautiful and then I listened to this to this new record from Panda Bear who I am such a huge fan of and I love and he sampled those chords and it was just like Oh, it was like beautiful, like modern um, rendition and evolution of of something so classic like Tchaikovsky. So it it's like the the film starts with with Tchaikovsky and ends with Panda Bear, and there's something kind of beautiful about that melding of my personal taste with something, you know, really classic and, and beautiful. Are you a big fan of The Shining? Big fan. Oh, yeah. I, I got finding vibes from your movie and every time oh, cool. happened, it's like I can't help but to perk up because I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Well, my husband did the score and he's a big, big Shining fan too, just Kubrick in general. But yeah, there were times where we would like play chords and be like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I think Very I know what those chords are in the movie yeah. at least. Yeah. And then we like cha we like cha like changed the end. We're like, oh, okay, that's a little new breath of life with a with a healthy dose of homage. Like, <laughs> right. I, I'm just what what is that like doing the score for your first film with someone you spend your life with? Like, how do you separate life from work at that juncture? 
<laughs> have you seen Vicky Christina Barcelona? I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, actually, the short he did he did this he scored the short too, and that was definitely like a finding our footing process of like some fights of like you don't respect my creative process, you know, like we had to like work it out because it's not a professional relationship. You're like telling him exactly what you think all the time and vice versa. But interestingly enough with um, when we sat down to, um, to do the feature, it was very, it was, it worked really well. And I absolutely can't wait to do, to do our next project. We like, we found, we found this kind of language that we speak. We can be really honest with each other. He's, um, he is, in my opinion, just a, a little, I mean, he's a genius. He can do anything. So for me, it's like finding, um, it is like just getting him to focus on something that's right for the scene and then just being like blown away with what he comes up with. So it's interesting. I don't know. Like I, I'm so far so good. I would highly recommend nice. working with your spouse if you can. <laughs> I might be familiar with some of his other music, so I'm not surprised. He's very talented in this respect, too. <laughs> very talented in this respect, I, I, yeah. And and uh, scoring and just storytelling through scoring, through composing, is, is, is just very different than writing a song. So it's like, yeah, it's so cool to watch him flex that muscle. His instincts are just like razor sharp. To go back a little and cover some of your other credits of everything you had done before, I guess a whole bunch of TV credits are coming to mind, like, I don't know, True Blood, Scream, etc. You said that you were kind of uh, soaking up things on set all along. Is there any particular set that you were on as an actor that really influenced the work that you do on set as a director today? Scream, for sure. Scream. Um, because that that whole experience was really kind of tumultuous and like things were happening in real time and you know we didn't always have the luxury of like knowing where the story was going or having scripts so like all these things so you were like kind of flying by the seat of your pants meanwhile working with really amazing horror directors and that's one thing I really give to that that show was I don't know, like all of the creative people that we got to work with, everybody tried, you know, their, their hardest on that show. And um, I just learned, I learned so, so much as an actor at, on screen and inherently as a director on that show too. Did that one feel like the game changer for you that it appeared to be on the, the audience end? Because that was the first time that I ever took note of your work and kind of put your name on my mental list and always look out for that. So was oh, that kind of the opportunity that blew the doors wide open to other things that maybe weren't accessible to you before? Yeah, it, it, it did. It, it opened a lot of doors. It also led me to a really kind of like... <laughs> internal place after that show like I was very like what do I want to do really and um and like you know that's how the blazing world was born out of a out of sort of a I I know that I love to do this and I know that I can do this 
but what do I have to say? And I, something, and, and I, and with, with that character that I was playing on screen, Brooke was like, you know, in a lot of ways, the kind of textbook popular girl and, and, um, looked a certain way, especially at the start of the show. And I made it my like personal mission to transform her like by the end and like make her more complicated and interesting because that's just how all people are when in the core of it. And so I, interestingly enough, after that experience, I think I kind of went on a journey like that personally. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Job well done in that respect. Like exactly what you just explained, I feel like I experienced watching the show. And I think that's a big part of the reason why that was a standout character of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I this is sort of a, a random question following up on that, but I remember watching that show and like, I don't know why I was just compelled to follow you on social media. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, what what was that growth aspect like? Like seeing your platforms in that regard grow at the same time as your career was reaching this new level? Yeah, it's like, it, I think social media is interesting because it's like such a facade. It's it's real, but it's not real. And, and so it's, it's very nice to have those numbers grow. I think it helps. It absolutely helps in, in so, so, so many ways, but it's didn't, it didn't help with how I felt on the inside. (laughs) Um, it, you know, after, after it's, I don't know. I mean, and I'm, I'm kind of like saying these things and realizing a lot just in real time too, but it's like the more that kind of stuff rose, like the more depressed I got. <laughs> so it was um, the, just to be brutally honest. So it, it was, it's, it's amazing, but you also have to have the internal confidence to deal with it. So that's, um, that's just been, that's just been something that you take day by day and, you know, so it's a blessing to have the visibility for sure. It makes total sense to me though, because it's like this secondary spotlight when you're already under the conventional spotlight bigger than you ever have been before. Uh, right. Have you found no now though, that having those platforms is uh, as you're releasing your first feature into the world has a value that maybe you didn't see in it then? Yes. yes. Oh yes, yes, yes. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and it's like, I, you know, I put, I put everything I had into this film and I'm proud of it. So if I want to post on social media, I'm going to post on social media, you know, like, I don't, I don't feel like sort of like a strange, like, oh, this isn't really mine, you know, which is like sort of a, it's like I'm overanalyzing it. I'm overthinking it. It's just social media. It doesn't matter. But you know what I mean? Of just like ownership over you know, your content. I think that that feels really nice to like put something in the world that I, yeah, like this is my baby. I do have one more scream question for you and then I'll leave it alone. I feel like you could probably (laughs) tell I like radiate the fact that I'm an obsessive fan of that franchise. Deputy Dewey the Cat isn't here right now, but I would pick him up and show him to you if I could. (laughs) Um, This is an outrage. (laughs) <laughs> I, he's sleeping in a basket in there and I can't disturb him right now. Oh maybe, la- maybe later though, he might, he might mosey on out. But I was <laughs> curious because of the timeline. 
when the show was first renewed for season three was was the idea that all of you were returning and you found out about the reboot after the fact because I will be completely honest with you. When I first heard about your version of the show as a diehard Scream fan, I'm like, uh uh-uh. Like it's a different, this doesn't feel like my Scream. Yes, yes. But the ensemble and the characters eventually won me over. And then I got sensitive all over again when the thing that I fell in love with was removed from the show. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that was shocking. it was like, you got renewed for third season. Then it was kind of like quiet. And we're like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, for it. And, and, and especially just like the way the show ended. It was like, there's these like cliffhangers. And I don't know, it didn't feel wrapped up. But, you know, when, when, when they decided to do the reboot, it was like, you know, okay, okay okay and just sort of like moving you know moving right along and kind of like taking the entire experience with gratitude and just like I mean to even have like a fraction to do with the Scream fan base which is like the best and just the franchise in general is like I just think, you know, we were never trying to, you know, like kind of like to your point of like being precious about the the movies is like all of us and I I I'm just speaking for myself but I feel like the other actors would say the same thing like we were just like trying to, to do you know the best we could within this framework and to make this this TV version something different and you know interesting and so you know I mean I do feel like there could have been a really great episode where we all die like why don't you just kill everybody it's scream but you know just my thoughts <laughs> well was that uh that experience you described of kind of being surprised by that tr- transition was that one of those moments that kind of caused that spark you were talking about where you, you self-analyzed and wanted yes, to reorient yes yes, yes absolutely yeah, that was that was one of the triggers for sure. I had already written the short and shot the short um, when that looks kind of simultaneously as that had all kind of gone down. So I sort of took it as a sign of like, okay, you you sort of you unearthed this other seed that you want to do, and I think the universe is telling you to go water that seed, you know. I love a garden metaphor. You're speaking my language. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I enjoy all that stuff through Haley. I don't understand any of it. I can't can't (laughs) make bread and I can't make a plant grow. (laughs) So you, you make the short. Was the short enough of a calling card for you in order to get the feature off the ground? Or is there a bunch of, you know, fighting's not the right word. I'm convincing in order to get what you need to get the green light. It was a wonderful calling card. Um, not the short itself, but being embraced by Sundance. I I have like a list of people who like didn't pay attention to the short, but then like when they got into Sundance, then they did. Uh, so it's all about like, you know, kind of getting that, that's that, that co-sign and sign off. So it was an amazing calling card, but then again, but, but, 
but also the feature is much bigger and like, you know, obviously, you know, different budget and, and, and a lot more kind of like sprawling of a visual landscape. And I had to sell people on it. Like I had to fight tooth and nail to, to get people to do this. And, um, during the script development process. And it's, it's funny, you think like, okay, so it was Sundance and then, and then it gets turned into a feature. It like kind of that, that happens organically, but I had to fight, I had to fight. It was, it was like a battle, um, but everything happened for a reason. I mean, we were like coasting into pre-production at the beginning of March and then the pandemic came. And it was just like, Really? <laughs> Wait, so did you shoot this during the pandemic? Yeah, in oh. August. We shot it in August. Yeah. So it was like, what? <laughs> you know, we kind of been like, been like so, so, so deep in this for like a year and a half, just, you know, extracting this thing. And then we were, it was, we're going and then, you know, COVID-19. So it was, it, it, you know, I, I, I just cracked open the script and rewrote um, some of some of the sequences to take us out of the world. And, you know, there's, so we could do it safely and, and ostensibly during the pandemic. And then we, we went through a couple of months of like intense planning and prep and we didn't even know if we were gonna get approved by SAG, you know? And um, it all came together though. And we started shooting August 1st. Oh my, I have so many questions, but first, do you mean approved by SAG in, in line with, uh, with COVID precautions, just yes. whether or not they were well, going to approve You know, just because it was like in, during that time where like all of the restrictions were coming out and, and it was like, here's our rules, but this is like our first draft of rules. So it, it, everything was just fluctuating every day. And we shot it in Austin, Texas, and we, we, we did a whole quarantine experience. We all lived together at this wedding resort, and then our hero location was right across the street. Nobody in, nobody out. It was probably the safest place you could have been during that time, um, and, you know, getting tested all the time. But, but I just mean that everything was changing so much every day, just globally, that it was like, I think we're going to be okay. But the way that, you know, I had worked with an amazing producer who just engineered this entire little ecosystem and um, this little town. And, and it was really cool. I mean, it made for an extremely memorable experience for like the crew and the actors and we were like all living together, so. You mentioned having to crack open that script again and rework it in certain ways. How did you yeah. approach adapting your original vision to a safe vision while keeping the integrity of what you wanted to do. Yeah. Well, the good news is that I think taking a few scenes out of the real world and engineering them to be more contained actually helped in some ways. I think tonally, like the way that it ended and like necessity is the mother of invention. And in this case, in this case, it like made it like more claustrophobic, I think, um, for the character. And, and it, it also sort of rang true to how dreams 
actually are, you know, in, in your, in your mind. I don't know if you guys are big, you know, dream journal people, but something that's interesting about dreams is like, they are often so sparse and like, like there's not, you know, like it's, it's, it's weird. You're like at a mall, but there's only two people, you know, <laughs> or like, I don't know, maybe just my brain, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it wasn't so hard to, to rework those scenes because I, I, I think that the sort of energy of what was going on in the world was informing the decisions that we had to make. And I think that when all is said and done, it, it was for the better. I'm so, so you said with all your gardening and dream journaling. I feel like I, we have this conversation all the time. And it's like I don't, I don't remember any of my dreams. But Haley, I'm like, where am I pointing? Haley's so good in that department. <laughs> you know, dream, I was about to jump on the dream journal. <laughs> the only dream I remember is because I'm afraid of the dentist having like my teeth or my fillings fall out. So I don't want a dream journal to keep track of that. Do you have the teeth falling out dream? all the time that's literally the only dream that I have or at least the only one I have that I like fully remember in the morning okay okay <laughs> I did want to so, ask I'm glad you brought it up because this is so rooted in your dreams I was curious about sort of your relationship with your dream worlds and how you keep it active because it's something I'm very passionate about the dream journaling and and keeping that creative channel open to myself yeah I mean I um I, I, I often lucid dream. So I, I do remember my dreams and I have like a, a certain level of like learned control over my dreams. So I, I really, <laughs> I really love to explore my dream world life. Um, and if like, there's something kind of scary in the corner, I will go after it and know that I'm like safe to do still cause I'm dreaming. So, um, I don't know. There's just, I've had like a handful of dreams in my life that are so like insanely, they, they've like resonated on like such a deep level that I like remember them. Like, I remember, like, I remember a dream that I had when I was like four years old that just like rocked my fucking world. And then kind of like came full circle on blazing world, you know? And I think like, I just think our subconscious is like capable of doing that for us, um, for everybody. Like, and, and like, I don't know, like, you know, ancients, they're always talking about like visions and, and these, it's just like, they're just talking about like their dreams, but they're just taking their dreams seriously, you know, like, I don't know. This is like really in like niche getting into it but I'm just curious you say you have a lot of lucid dreams I do as well I'm curious do you have a like a test for yourself to check that you're dreaming the hands hands yeah mine Mine is if I can make it snow then I'm like oh yeah I'm asleep oh nice I'm gonna try that it's a good one that's really cool going back to like beginner land here in order to gain that control, what like is a dream journal the first step to kind of accessing that? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not like a professional on this, so I'm not, I'm not really sure. But I feel like keeping a dream journal just when you are awake and conscious, you're, you're like remembering, you're like filing it away in a real way. 
and then your brain kind of, uh, you know, you, you'll wake up and be able to, to write down like what, you know, what you just saw. And then that inherently kind of makes you more, I don't know. I think that there's something to that translating into when you are asleep. Maybe, I don't know. I've always lucid dreamt. So I'm not sure. I, I, um, everybody's, everybody's different in that department. Haley's my resident pro on those (laughs) matters on witching hour, but I'm, I'm very open to the advice that you're giving right now. might as well try it after all this time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? And also, you know what is a great way to do it? On your back and nap during the day. Like lights on. Like it just allows you not to fall too deep. I like an excuse to nap also. Yeah. <laughs> We've also gotten very far ahead of ourselves. So because this is your Sundance premiere and this is the first audience that's going to see your movie, a lot of our viewers don't know the basic synopsis of Blazing World. So would you mind giving them the brief one-on-one on what the movie's about? Sure. Um, so it's about a young woman named Margaret um, and she's about to uh, take her own life. And before she does, she's um, she's dragged down to this secret inner world by Udo Kier, who uh, her icon, my personal obsession. Um, he he uh, he sort of takes her into the innermost part of her uh, subconscious to confront the traumas that are uh, keeping her underwater. Um, uh, for for me, it's a film about grappling with depression and the inward you know, journey that you face to overcome that. Um, and I, uh, I sort of wanted to tell it through a warped psychological um, thriller fantasy perspective and then sprinkle a little bit of horror in there because I'm a horror gal through and through and confronting your demons is scary. So that's much that's shtick. Well, I was not surprised to research and learn that you studied creative writing, given this sort of attachment to that title. Um, and I'm curious what it was about the works of Margaret Cavendish yes. that that spoke to you to such a level you wanted to yes. ingrain that into your title. Yeah, I mean, because the film doesn't resemble Cavendish's blazing world at all, but I was really inspired by her imagination and just this trailblazing vision that she had as a woman during that time and to me Cavendish was laying out this fantastical utopian paradise that was like with this like childlike creativity and imagination and she was reordering the world and I was inspired to take her blazing world more symbolically and um and personalize personalize the blazing world for this this character and and Margaret Margaret the character in Blazing World's fantasy world is a reflection of her trauma so um that occurred in her childhood which seemed interesting to me like it seemed like there was there was something there that was interesting um that is like that the Blazing World is the point of liberation for her psyche and then and then using you know Margaret Cavendish's idea of fire and like this fiery sun world as a mode of trans transformation um but I I mean to be honest with you like I set out I set out to like create this like fantasy world 
And then it just got sad. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was like, oh, I think that, I think that what I'm supposed to tell is what a fantasy world actually looks like for somebody who's traumatized, you know? So that's kind of the, the genesis there. And I, I was writing a paper on Mar Margaret Cavendish and the blazing world at, at, um, in school. And that's when I started having that dream. Going off of the, the title here, this is very specific, but I, I always uh, get very curious about this because it's a big decision. How do you uh, pick the title font for your movie, especially here more so than in other cases because it's extremely specific? Yes. Which font are you referring to? I am referring to the title font at the beginning and you see it at the end as well. Gotcha. I don't know what the I don't know what the name of the font is. Yeah, it's a custom it's a custom font. Custom font. Um, so my husband, uh, my husband has a kind of a creative like circle around him of people that he's been working on with this other project of his called Peel, and the the creative director of that project's name is T is Taylor Jolly, and he um we'd been talking about him doing the intro credits and and the text for a while and we just like shared so much inspiration back and forth and i just let us let him like let his freak flag fly and brought me some options I was like that one's dope let's do that i feel like you guys should uh you know like officially copyright it or whatever you do and put it on those sites where you could download fonts and add them to yeah yeah Totally. I bet you he's all over that. I'll, I'll tell him that you said that. <laughs> I kind of love stuff like that. <laughs> when you look back on your resume, uh, you have so many roles on so many TV shows, which means you have been directed by so many directors. And I'm curious in the process of um, directing your own acting, what did you learn about yourself as a performer? Yeah, directing... Um, directing myself was so nice. I loved it. <laughs> I know what I'm looking for in a, in a, in a performance. So I know what beats I want to hit and I know what is important for the character as it pertains to the larger story, which is not something that you, um, necessarily get like as just a day player on a TV show. So, um, it's harder for me to get into other actors' heads because, you know, just as an actor, I, I, I respect the process so much and you just never know how somebody is going to react to like thoughts. And, you know, I feel like I'm excited to keep going and, and to keep, you know, keep creating and, and directing, you know, future projects because I feel like I'm going to get more confident in communicating with other actors <laughs> it's strange because I am an actor but still I don't know it's like it's intimidating to me but directing myself I feel like it just it feels um there's like a tranquility there of like I I set up the shot so I know what I need to do and like to communicate what I'm trying to communicate instead of just like hopping on the set and like being like, go monkey, you know? <laughs> Is it safe to assume you are very confident right from the start in both directing and starring in this? Did anyone try to kind of steer you in another direction on oh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So many, 
well, not so many, but like definitely like a few moments of somebody being like, no, only one or, you know, having really strong, uh, strong opinions about, about wearing those, those hats. But I just knew that I could do it. And I, I just knew that nobody is going to believe me. I have to show you, you know? And with the incredible ensemble you assembled, you you sound very confident in directing yourself, but is there anything about any other member of the ensemble that challenged you to adapt as a director and maybe in a way that was for the better? For sure. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, it was amazing working with Udo and Dermot and Vanessa and my good friend John Karna and Soko. It was like, everyone's so different. Everybody has their own way, their own entry point into the character and the material. And um, I guess I'm, you know, I, I try to be like very sensitive to everybody's entry point and like never like push too hard, but then also try to challenge too. But mostly I just, I felt I felt like it was really important to communicate about the character and the project as much as possible beforehand. So that when we could, so that when we get to set, it's like, let's just let it all go and see what happens. Um, and I think I, I think I will continue to do that. Like just as much prep as you can possibly do with another actor is, is wonderful. I say that we didn't really have that much prep time. We didn't have rehearsal time or anything like that. I just mean, I just mean like getting on the same page as to what we're trying to emulate, you know? If present Carlson could go back to day one of the shoot and give past Carlson one piece of advice about making your first feature, what would it be? Go back to the beginning of this shoot? Yes. <sighs> I don't know, I'm not the first filmmaker to say this, but like, I don't even know where to begin. I feel like a different person than the start of the shoot. And that was only in August. Um, I would just tell, I would just tell her to like, just breathe and be confident. It's so hard. It's like, it's like personally hard for me to be confident. So that's what I would, that's what I would say. Evergreen advice, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I always feel like when it's hard for someone to be confident too, it's because they really, really care about something. And yeah. that's a feeling that I never want to lose. Yeah, true, true. There's a vulnerability in it. Um, but when you're like the head of the ship, you have to be confident, you know? So that was, you know, it was like, it was just a, it was like a, this, push and pull. And I think that each project after this, I'll, I'll get better and better and more, you know, more comfortable. You were saying earlier that on every set that you acted on, you were, you know, shadowing people and always learning more about a specific position, even as a director on this feature, is there any position that you still got the opportunity to learn more about that you hadn't before? Yeah, like our, our grip and electric were unbelievable. And like, so just, I don't know, they were just so creative. Like I, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to make it very, very clear to every department head that like 
they had every license to flex their creative muscles. Like I made, you know, a style guide for everybody and just passed it around. I'm like, if you have got a question, like, don't ask me, like go to the style guide. And then like, and, and then what's your interpretation of that? You know? Cause I was very, I was just really interested for what everybody had to bring personally to the table. And, and so, you know, if I'm like telling Rudy, our gaffer, what, what I'm kind of thinking I want for a certain sequence, I'm like, I'm like, think fucking bizarre. What does that look like to you? Like, you know, and, and within the framework of, of like all of the, the sort of references we're pouring over and all the things we're talking about every day, like I'd, I'd rather like tell you a feeling and then you translate that in, into why that's like, you know, what you would choose as your profession. So um, yeah, I mean, our, my DP was amazing. Um, production designer, costume designer, everybody was really just amazing. You create these really ambitious visual tableaus in that pursuit of, you know, fucking bizarre. Um, and being that it's your first feature, like really ambitious, uh, big visuals, and I don't want to spoil any of them, but how did you, like, being that you just discussed, you struggle sometimes with the confidence, how did you stick to that vision and not second guess that maybe it was too ambitious for your first time? Yeah. Yeah. I... I just, I felt like go big or go home. And I, I never ever questioned the visual identity of the film ever. It was more just me, Carlson, having the confidence to stand by it and, and to, to own it. Cause we wrote, we wrote that. It was like the script was, I was, was what I was most confident about, you know, like the script was what I knew in my bones was finished and I could see it in my head. And what I could see in my head was really quite interesting and beautiful. Um, and it was just like, you know, it's like, I felt like I was pregnant like with a baby. And then I had to give birth to that baby alone in the woods. No doctor. Well, <laughs> That's how I congrats felt. to stick with <laughs> because it is such a, a striking film. So Thank you. It's exciting. You. It's exciting to see a one of a kind film like this. And I love hearing about your creative process with the rest of your company here. And I wish we saw more things like that in mainstream movies and television. And with, with your creative goals, it is making me wonder if you had the opportunity to, I don't know, whether it's jumping into a big franchise film or maybe just serving as a director on, let's say an episode of a TV show like Scream, what would need to be in place from the higher ups, the powers that be so that you could get the work done, but still stay true to the voice that you want to show yeah. off right now. Right now, I'm feeling that I'm feeling that I need to just be open. And I have I have very specific ideas about who I want to be as a filmmaker and the stories that I want to tell and like what I want to say. But I don't want to I don't want to like narrow my lane too much. I like I, I really want to see what I want to see what comes. I feel like hopefully people see the film and are like, 
okay, I see what, you know, I, I see the general vicinity of where, you, you know, where you could go or, you know, and, and that's, that's my hope. I, um, I wrote Blazing World as it is, it's a trilogy of, of, of three films that are, that explore kind of uh, coming of age in a, in a sort of strange entry point way, like the the counterpart the twin baby to blazing world is is a film i want to do next um just finished the script i'm pretty excited about it called uh feminine Knox, um that i wrote with uh my co-writer on this pierce brown as well and um and it's uh it's very weird it's like a middle school horror thriller and it's 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 kind of got like valerie and her week of wonders vibes uh and I think that's going to be really cool. But I, I'm just, I'm super into like exploring the female identity. Uh, just, I, I don't know. I, that, that's kind of what I want to, I want to like go that direction. But I'm also in love with epic, big fantasy storytelling. So where those two things meet, I, I, um, I'm just trying to stay open. I feel like I shouldn't put this pressure on you when the uh, the premiere for this one hasn't even happened, but <laughs> the way you describe it, it makes me want the next one now. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, good. <laughs> I think you'll, I think you'll dig it. It's, it's, um, it's bizarre and hopefully there's another, and hopefully there's a, another way to put Udo Kier in there. <laughs> Always. Always. <laughs> You've, you've spoken about like your, your love of building out worlds and um, these epic fantasies. And I'm curious from that creative writing background to putting together a script, which is a different format, obviously, what were, uh, what were the elements of those teachings that were most helpful? And what, was there anything that you found actually to be a challenge as you reframed your mind towards, no, this is a script format. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I had read so many scripts as an actor, you know, just read like four or five scripts a week and I have for years. So translating, you know, maybe all of my, my poetry and kind of like abstract things I'd studied in, in school, I know a good script when I read it, like, you know, a great poem when you read it. And that's obviously so subjective. It's different for everybody. But when I went to translate that sensibility of creative writing into into script format and screenwriting it was extremely helpful for me to be working with Pierce um, because he is he's got he's such a master of, of genre genre writing and um, I felt like there was a lot of times where our dynamic was me writing something and him translating it um, and then once we bounced back and forth like that enough, we kind of found this really cool, you know, repertoire where, um, you know, I, I was getting better. He was getting, he was seeing me, you know, it was like, we were like creatively kind of like meeting, um, in this place. And yeah, I, 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 I think, I think I have a tendency to be like a little too esoteric and abstract and he can kind of refine that and clarify which I think is a nice amazing thing to have in a writing partner every time I try to start a script I'm like 
that's far too many words. You're writing a novel. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all the yeah, I know. It's like distill, still, distill, you know, like, and, and that's something that I think creative writing and, and just like, you know, poetry professors that I had at one point, like, you know, helped a lot with that of distill, distill, like, a good script is like dipped in vinegar, you know, it's, it's like uh, fermented. <laughs> with that in mind, I don't know if you got the opportunity to do this with the short turnaround and the current pandemic situation, but you were fine, you were fine, you were fine in the script stage, but is there anything that you discovered about the film in the edit that added even more clarity to what you wanted to do? Um, yes, during the edit, Yes, yes and no. I feel like the edit was this deep, deep exhale because I, I would say that there was more little like happy miracles like that, just like on the day, like on set, you know, you were, you, you, the script is so buttoned up and it's squeaky, squeaky clean and polished, but and just like allowing room for the the spontaneity of of what's going to happen on the day there was like several big things in the movie that I was just like put the camera there and like make her you know Vanessa do this you know that are like huge huge points in the film now and like that was that was just um that was just because I had done the time I think to understand what I was just trying to say so um, less in the edit, more, more just on the actual set for me. Yeah. It sounds like you have such like a, like a fun, exciting and, uh, encouraging collaborative voice on set. And I just, I don't know. I love hearing about that. I like hearing about that flexibility and that willing to listen to those around you and encourage them to deliver their best work in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So Haley, is it time? I think it is. Do you want to go first? I feel like one of the two right now is the more burning question. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you going? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I like, I kind of already know because I did my research, but we always ask our lovely guests, do you have any pets? Tell us about your pet. Oh yeah. I got a dog. <laughs> I got a dog named William and he's, he's just, just a splendid dog and then a cat named Francis and a cat named Arwen and actually all of them are in my parents house right now in Texas and I cannot wait to see them and I will this weekend Yay. which one's the movie star cat <laughs> um are you talking about Arwen who's at the beginning of the film and in yes. the short yes yeah that's Arwen she's the youngest uh she is a biatch and she's so beautiful and she knows it and like she's a proper cat my other cat though francis is like you know everybody says this about about their their cat but he's the best cat in the world so i love him dearly he is my eldest and then william um you know is just a dog he's i'm a glad that arwen lives up to the big diva energy she puts off on screen she does put it off. Delights me. Yeah, my husband was or Isom was the uh, cat wrangler on on set. There was, I wanted her to be in a couple more scenes, but it just it didn't it didn't work. Um, but 
he would he had we have this cat backpack and he'd like trek her out on set and and like I'd be like all right put her down put her down he'd be like no she's gonna run away I'm like you don't understand she's made for this she's a natural (laughs) put her down (laughs) and he'd put her down in, in the field and sure enough she'd sit there and she would like look up and look at the camera and be like see why is everybody freaking out She's She's wonderful. I kind of want a a whole feature of of Arwen in the spotlight now. I do want to do like, I don't know, maybe even like a music video or a short or something, but with all these like crazy camera angles, then you like realize it's like through the perspective of the cat POV. Yes, more cat POV. I'm here for it. Uh, I'm definitely down for that. So that, that's one of our go-to questions. And I have a feeling you are going to be get very good for this other one as well. But we always ask our guests whether it's something new or something that came out a long, long time ago. What is something in the genre that you think more people need to know about? A book, a movie, a show, you name it. Um, would the Netflix show Dark count in this equation? For sure. Cool. Yeah that (laughs) blown away by that show (laughs) is there anything in genre in general that's happening now that maybe wasn't happening before that's just I don't know really exciting you and maybe especially exciting you now that you're you're taking you know not your first but one of your first big steps into the genre as a as a creator and a leader of a company yeah I I I think genre is so exciting right now. I think the pa- I think the palette is there. I think that the audience, I think that people's attention spans right now lends itself to really bold and exciting storytelling where it just has to move. And um, I've noticed that with you know uh, many films I've seen over the past couple of years, but. I, I, I love, I love horror and genre in this sort of way that I can't really (laughs) express in words. I, I, I respect it so much for, you know, go like, like in fleshing what is scary. Um, that is a very powerful thing to do as a storyteller. So I'm always here for that. The industry is always here for more of that from you. (laughs) I have one little curveball closing question. Since we were uh, were talking a little bit about before we started rolling, how this is a unique Sundance debut, obviously. Um, And it is exciting that it is more accessible because it's virtual. But I'm curious, in the celebration of the film festivals, we can't wait to get back to. Is there a particular screening or event at a film festival that holds a really special place in your heart? Just out of all of the festivals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want, I want to go to Sitges, Sitges. However, I'm sure I'm yeah. messing that up, but I don't know that one. <laughs> That's up on my to-do list too. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Yeah. Okay. Let me know. Coordinate. <laughs> you're waiting for fantastic fest to be the answer oh well yeah fantastic fest for sure i just i don't know i'm I'm pretty enamored by that little town and yeah i'm really cool shit has premiered there what premiered there 
oh, I, I said, I, I feel like every time I'm, I'm looking up an exciting filmmaker, I see, I oh, see yeah. over and over again that they're, you know, that they're showing there. And I've all, I just kind of have this dream of premiering something there or showing something there. Very understandable. Well, the door is still wide open to that in the future, but seriously, that, I guess thank you, or I'm excited for you to be able to premiere this at Sundance in, in the virtual sense right now, because we talk about this all the time on Collider, but we, we need to be able to share the love of, of cinema and new voices right now. And I know it's not being done the same way it was done before, but the thought of having a wider audience experience a festival like Sundance for the first time, if they might not have been able to go to Park City in the past is so exciting. And I'm hoping that means tons and tons of eyeballs on your movie. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a strange time, but I feel like it's really cool that people are going to be able to see these films that would never have found themselves in Park City. You know, it's really, it's really special. That thought is giving me lots of hope right now. Carlson, thank you again for joining us on The Witching Hour. Huge congratulations on The Blazing World to everybody out there. I don't know if you're planning to see it yet, but if you have access to Sundance, go like sign up and check that off, add it to your schedule, whatever the, uh, the feature on the website is called, and just keep an eye out for it, even after its festival run, an eye on Carlson's work. Clearly, we have another feature film that we should be looking forward to right now. Is there any, I don't know, like a website or do you want to plug your social media or anything before we let you go? Um, you know, just at Carlson Young on Instagram. <laughs> All right. Haley, where can everybody find you and your work online? You can find me at Haley Fouch on Twitter and Haystack McGroovy on Instagram. I'm at P. Nemroff on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode. You have officially survived the witching hour. <laughs>